Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good, good. Thanks for that introduction, Jim. None of that's true, by the way. <laughs> and there we are. Right. Okay. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, as Jim kindly introduced me, my name's Jamie, and I'm the youth specialist here at Mosaic. I'm married to Debbie and a father of three. <laughs> Fletcher, Finnegan, and Winnie, who was just born a week ago. <sighs> Right, but anyway, so I'm thrilled to be preaching to you all this morning. It's a bonus, as I normally uh, lead our community services. And uh, if you're new to Mosaic, um, our community services are services that we have everyone together worshipping. And that means we don't have our usual kids' ministry upstairs. The kids come down and join us. So this, this usually means that I have to usually keep my sermons to a, a fairly short 10 minutes or so to keep everyone's attention. And so if you know me as someone, uh, brevity is not really a word that appears in the Jamie Grimble Dictionary. That can be kind of a challenge. So when Angel invited me to uh, preach today, I went wild. So here's my sermon. Just kidding, that was like just bad joke there. Anyway, and it's kind of even more ironic when there's nothing written on it. So, um, so yeah, so, so it's about half that, really. Um, so this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about cultivating a freedom in worship. So to begin with, I, I just want you to show you a little clip from a home video of me attending church back in England.
<laughs> so as you probably realise, that's actually taken from the classic comedy show, Mr Bean. Um, that scene is actually about nine minutes long. Um, I had to select a very short por uh, portion of it, but I think you get the idea that church is portrayed in a very formulaic, stereotypical idea of what church and worship actually is. Very rigid, follow the leader kind of thing. But I think we all know that church doesn't need to be like that. Worship doesn't need to be like that. Mosaic is certainly not like that. And this morning, when I talk about worship, I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about how we interact with each other, with God, to glorify God and Jesus. So what do I mean about cultivating a freedom of worship? Well, when I was reflecting on this subject and looking at how Jesus wants us to lead our lives in worship, I think it's more about um, freeing up the contents and the expectations of our own hearts and creating a church or a service that allows you to do what you want. And what I mean by this is giving people permission to express themselves as they choose. And it's different from creating a culture of freedom that works its way from the inside out. But weirdly, having freedom doesn't mean to say that we don't have boundaries. It means that we have to be particularly thoughtful and responsible in how we use our freedom in worship, particularly when we interact with others. <clears throat> As a parent, I look at my children and I want them to be able to have choices to decide for themselves so that when they're faced with a tough choice or a decision, they are able to have the freedom to make that choice without feeling the weight of expectation. I know as a parent, I'm probably going to screw that one up. But that's my goal. And it's an interesting thought that actually we as people probably don't have a problem using our freedom. In fact, the problem lies in the opposite. I have been growing up in churches my whole life. My grandfather was a vicar in churches. And I have noticed one interesting thing that has occurred time and time again in the churches that I have attended. And if I may, I'm going to quote our uh, Pastor Angel here, but I hope you allow me to be honest here. People and churches have a hard time allowing themselves to be free. People and churches have a hard time allowing themselves to be free. I know, I do it. I will use any excuse to keep the status quo. We like things neatly packaged and presented and tied up with a bow. And so to help break down this feeling, I want us to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of our charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over, his, over the cross. Now, Paul here, in his letter to the Colossians, is actually starting to write out a charter. A charter to the freedom of bondages and the mistaken ideas of teachings of Jesus uh, that breaks everything away from the legalism. But before he does this, he prefaces it with a huge reminder of the very thing that enables us to have this freedom. In verses 13 and 14, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ. 
He forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it against the cross. So, to put it simply like this, just imagine all the bad stuff, all the stuff that we put onto ourselves, we did as IOUs. You know, the little bits of paper with reminders of our faults, our weaknesses, our failures, all stuck up on a wall right here, constantly reminding us of that when we come to worship, when we come to church, what we need to make up, what we need to atone for. Well, when God sacrificed his only son, all the IOUs that we had collected up were instantly ripped up and cancelled. Not only did God remove the debt, but even the little bits of paper written on it. And so there was no record of it either. All these IOUs that we had collected, which held us down, covered us in judgment and self-guilt, had gone. And as Paul vividly puts it, nailed it to the cross. I think that deserves an amen. Amen. Right. It's not that hard, right? You know, you're free to exclaim it. Amen. He nailed it to the cross. Cool. Now, this sense of not allowing ourselves to be free goes all the way back to Genesis, when man and woman came out of the Garden of Eden because of what they had done. They covered themselves up as if to say, don't see me. I'm ashamed because they only saw what they did and it became a destructive path. Now, some of you might know that my other job is a DJ. And uh, I've been DJing for over 25 years now. So that means I started when I was eight. And, um, <laughs> and I've had a very blessed career. But it's been also one to shape my walk with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to give you my full testimony here because I've shared it before. Um, and if you'd like to hear it, please come and talk to me. I'm, I'll be happy to share it. But I'm just going to give you a brief snippet. I've been attending church my whole life. And when I became a DJ... It caused a little bit of a blip in my walk. I never lost my faith. I just became ashamed of the life that I was leaving because the lifestyle that I was drawn to in the clubs, you know, it, was, it just didn't compute. It didn't add up. And therefore, um, you know, it, yeah, it didn't compute with the teachings that I had learned about being a follower of Jesus. And I felt judged and cast out. And by the way, I just want to say, no one person put that on me. My misunderstanding of God's love and self-guilt did that. And this is a classic example of what I'm talking about. I became a DJ because I love music, all types of music. I live for music. It became a way that I could express myself. But it also started to become a place where I could escape to. So instead of bettering myself at my chosen profession and maybe practice DJing and trying new things, I became very cocky and started to use it for the wrong intentions, to build up my my ego, to impress people, to get them in on the guest list, to use it for a a free drink and other vices. Unlike most things, when you abuse it, it tends to abuse you back. People started using me for my position as a DJ and not really seeing me as a friend but and having a relationship with me, which I thought was my identity. People wanted to use me just to get something else. And you know, I wanted people to like me, to see, to see me for something actually bigger than I actually was. And so I started not to recognize the person, and it led me to a very dark place. But this dark place led me back to Jesus, and here I am now. 
But what was crazy was when I came back to my faith, I was so ashamed of the past that I felt that DJing was part of my, the source to my destructiveness. I wanted to walk away from DJing completely. But then Jesus spoke to me and said, uh-uh, son, you don't need to do that. And just because I found my religion again, my own sense of piety, was in, which was instead of drawing me closer, it was actually blocking me from him. I was thinking that I didn't need to use the very gift that I could actually worship God freely with because I had used it for self-gain. I couldn't see how to worship God. But through a powerful moment, I was crossing a bridge in London, um, and I just had a really horrible conversation with a long-time promoter that I worked with um, who put me down and, you know, was just very horrible to me. And so in normal circumstances... That conversation would have left me freaking out, worrying about my future, where I was going, and what I was going to do. But then I spoke to God. And as I was crossing the bridge, I just felt complete peace come over me. And he actually gave me a new vision that incorporated how to use my DJing for him. It made me realize that this new vision for... uh, and a heart for worship. He had torn up those IOUs, those little bits of paper that I I had written on my heart, and he started to replace it with his heart. And it freed me up to DJ as I was meant to DJ, worship as I was meant to worship, unhardening my heart. And as soon as I did that, it added so many dimensions to my life. Relationships became more real. I just generally felt so much better It freed me up. It cleared my brain. I would find myself on top of club buildings, praying for people who came into the clubs. We actually created a club for the church friends to bring their non-church friends to, to show what having a faith really is, that being a Christian is not so square. You know, to break up this horrible vision of what they thought church really was. It was incredible. Now, worship is an act of faith. If you really think about it, you're jumping head first into conversing with someone who is unseen. It takes faith for every act of worship to take part in. But it's done essentially to draw us closer to God. If we really go through the motions of our worship because we are tied to our comfort zones, our knowns, we will stop taking any risks in how we express ourselves in worship. Thus, making the argument, in for freedom, null and void. Now, we won't be like Mr. Bean, at least trying to sing. We'll become the man next to him, judging Mr. Bean for being who he is. And the result is, Mr. Bean ends up censoring himself because of the man next to him. Now, let's consider the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with a perfume. It, didn't not, you know, it did not fit into any logical model of the day. It did not meet a single practical need. It was purely an act of worship born out of faith. Jesus said of her expression, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's story would also be told. That is the fruit of the faith, being born of the freedom to worship. Now, 
maybe all of us here have had similar experiences like me, where we felt like we've tried to reconnect to God after some time out, and it hasn't happened. Our own sense of unworthiness is dragging us back and preventing us from actually receiving anything. Last week, uh, Angel, uh, Angel um, was talking about pain, and I loved what she said about it, that when you actually hurt yourself physically, you press against pain. You know, when you stub your toe, you actually, oh, and you're trying to just hold the pain in, right? Instead of, go, uh, of going, God, just releasing it and just letting the pain flow, because God has given us, Jesus, our peace to help us manage that pain. And I think the same could be said about seeking freedom in worship. When we try and block out freedom because it causes us to embarrass ourselves, we don't want to change, we skip round it, all because we find it hard to accept we are worthy. You are worthy. God sacrificed his only son because we are worthy. We are all worthy. We have possibly, some of us here, have been brought up in performance-based households where everything had to be earned, including love. And one simple word breaks that fear of not being worthy. Grace. But Jamie, you're asking, what does grace have to do with freedom and worship? Well, if you remember at the beginning of my sermon, I was talking about freeing up the expectations and contents of our hearts so that we can have a freedom and worship. Well, that starts with receiving a grace that we did absolutely nothing for. Again, I want to be vulnerable with you. I sometimes feel unworthy to be talking to you up here. I feel so uneducated. I dropped out of college. I have no training in theology. Why should I be up here? Because of God's grace. Because people saw that I had something to say and encouraged me. I had freedom in worship. Just as using my DJing, preaching is my freedom in worship. What we all need to be willing is, is to lay down our guilt and messiness and lay it all out there. Put it up at the cross. And remember that Jesus was right there. So when I was coming back to my faith, somebody uh, was beautifully showed me um, what it is, uh, like a physical representation of what I'm talking about. I saw Jesus and God like this. So just imagine, this is, Je- this is me and Jesus is there. Sorry, this is, this is Jesus and that's me there. And this is Jesus and God going like that. Jesus pushing me away. But in fact, you know, Jesus was keeping me me at arm's length because of my sin. Well, in fact, it was me keeping God and Jesus in between my guilt and my messiness. So this is me, and that's Jesus. That was actually me doing this. So, in fact, Jesus was like you. And I'm just going to come out here. Sorry, I'm going to pick on you. Jesus was like this. Hey, I'm still here for you. I'm right here. I didn't go anywhere. I'm, in fact, in the club dancing. 
Sorry, Isa, I know that was a bit embarrassing, but... We're friends. We're friends. And so, you know, that's it. Jesus wants to dance with us. He wants to be in the clubs. He wants to be in that, those messy places where we feel, you know, uh, not accepted. When we put our fears and insecurities and messiness down, give it over to Jesus, let our performances go and just sit naked and unashamed in front of God, we actually want to become like children. We have to become like children. Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're keeping ourselves out. It's not him keeping us out of heaven. It's us. And so I, ask you, I want to ask yourself that question. What would it look like if I became a child, if I lost my inhibitions? What do I have to lose? Because of my daughter, Winnie, arriving last week, my in-laws are in town for a few weeks, helping us to get acclimatized to that little extra person. And as they live overseas, they are not here as often as they'd like. So they obviously come armed with gifts. And it's come to a point where my two sons will say, Hi, Nana, Granda, where's my presents? And now I'm trying to teach the boys that they should not expect presents and not to be so forward about asking but, my, but with our relationship with um, God and Jesus, we should accept, expect new gifts from God. Not because we're entitled, because we know who God is and his relationship with us. Just as my boys know their nana and granda, we'll naturally give them a big hug of love with presents. That's just their nana and granda expressing their love. We know God is our parent. And once we receive those gifts, we should use them as God intended and not hide them away. And this is exactly what Madeleine Engel, the author of Wrinkle in Time fame, wrote in her book, Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art. It may be that we have lost our ability to hold a blazing coal, to move unfettered through time, to walk on water, because we have been taught that such things have to be earned. We should deserve them. We must be qualified. We are suspicious of grace. We are afraid of the very lavishness of the gift. But a child rejoices in presence. You should also, you're not out of place in this community and Jesus. And you're certainly not out of place in your worship. You all belong here in Jesus' presence. Please don't lock yourself out. Once you have laid everything out, you free up your mind, and then you free up your worship, and the Holy Spirit will delight in you and your worship. Now, before I finish, I want to encourage you. But first, again, I want to get honest. And I apologize. I'm a truth teller. It gets me into trouble. But I get a sense, and I think I know the large majority of us here are feeling pretty isolated right now. Life has made us put up invisible fences. I see it in this place. I hear it from people. But I just want you to take a moment. Look around you. Look around you. Look. 
Physically look at each other. Take in each other. Give each other a smile. Give each other a hug if you're close enough. Or a high five. Come on. I know, I'm British. It's awkward. <laughs> but let's do it. Just give each other a smile. This is church. This is our community. We pray together. We hurt together. We encourage together. We worship together. We have freedom together. I'm looking around this room right now, and I can see dozens of people who've been there for me, walking in my suffering, dance with me in my joy, encouraged me in my doubt. But we all worship together. And I want you to encourage you to join together, worship together, maybe even find a prayer partner, serve in a ministry, join a small group, start a small group, help a neighbor, whatever that freedom allows you to do. I encourage you to do it and do it together because Jesus did it for us. It's already done. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for giving us your only son that you enabled us to be free, that we were no longer covered in shame, that those IOUs that we put on ourselves, that we put up in our rooms, that we put up in our hearts, the things that we write on our hearts, that we think that identify us, that tell us who we are, are actually not us. Because you ripped them up. You ripped up any record of that and laid it at the cross. And Lord, I just ask that you enter our hearts with a new sense of grace, with a new childlike sense of wonder for what we are actually empowered to do, with a new sense of our gifts, with a new sense of our love, with a new sense of our neighbors, that at this time of thanksgiving, we just take time and enjoy each other, really seek each other out, and be thanksgiving in that. We ask this in your name. Amen.